Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm super excited for this week's phenomenal, fantastic guest, who's also my good friend, Dr. Katie Marks-Kogan. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jess. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Um, Katie and I go way back, actually, when I say way back, I would tell, when did, when did you come into Ready, Set, Food? 2017. 2017. All right. So let's talk about how we got to meet each other. Um, so do you want to explain it? Do you want to go ahead and say sure. how, how we met? Sure, absolutely. So I, well, I think first I met Marissa. I met one of your sisters and we became friends. Um, and then um, she is married to a very smart gentleman named Andy. And actually Andy's been friends with my husband since college. And um, Andy's son, unfortunately, was diagnosed with multiple food allergies when he was about seven months old. And so Andy um, had known about all of the studies about food allergy prevention and thought of an idea to create a product that could make it easy and safe for parents to introduce allergens into their baby's diet. And we all got together and came up with Ready, Set, Food, which we'll talk about more later. And now we're just like a big family. So, you you know, your, your um, brother-in-law, Daniel, is the CEO, and Andy's one of the co-founders, and they're married to your sisters. <laughs> you went to college with my husband, and so it's just a big family. Go Bruins, and, go Bruins at UCLA, if Bruins, there's any right? Bruins That's out there. Right. Yes. And now we're all good friends. Yes. No, I, um, so I'll just, so from my, my side of it, um, I have two sisters and they have two husbands and the husbands got together and they came up with this allergy prevention product and they really needed an allergist on board with them to uh, be part of the team, which fortunately was you. Um, so, um, so this is how we know each other. My, uh, my two sisters, two husbands, so my brothers-in-law and Katie together have a allergy prevention product called Ready, Set, Food, which was on uh, Shark Tank two years ago. So it's been really fun to watch the evolution of this product to help prevent childhood allergies. So, all right, so let's get into it. Speaking of childhood allergies, can you, can you tell me um, about childhood allergies? Like how, how prevalent are they? Um, everybody seems to know someone now that has an allergy to something. Um, how, how common are they? Sure. So great question. So it depends what we're talking about, right? So if we're, if we're talking about food allergies in particular, about 8% of children have a food allergy and the prevalence is rising. And for example, with peanut allergy, the prevalence has actually tripled in the last few decades. Wow. So if we're talking about environmental allergies, um, the prevalence is rising as well. And so there's a lot of different scientific ideas behind why we're seeing this, this rise in, in prevalence of allergies in general. Um, what, do you, what do you think it is? Do you have, what is your leading contending idea? Well, okay, good question. Uh, so I think it's a combination. I think genetics play a role, but it doesn't play as big of a, of a role as people think. So there's something called the hygiene hypothesis, which is uh, the idea that we're kind of too clean, right? So our societies become much more clean than we used to be. We used to sort of grow up on farms around farm animals and playing in the dirt every day. And now we're all using hand sanitizer even more, unfortunately, these days. Um, and so the idea is that we're not exposed to the right bacteria, right? The right germs 
early on in life when our immune system is sort of learning, right? It's learning if it should tolerate certain things or if it should fight off certain things or, or become allergic to certain things. And so if we're introduced to some of those things later in life, then the immune system gets skewed towards allergy. And so there, and there are multiple observational studies to support this, you know, with regard to kids growing up on farms, having less, um, uh, a decreased development of asthma and allergies. So, and the same, same idea for food allergies, there's vitamin D that plays a role. And oh, that's interesting. Oh yeah. So vitamin D actually has a role in the immune system, right? And so, Vitamin D deficiency, I think, is much more widespread than it used to be because we are indoors a lot more. Playing those video um, games, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> On so Netflix. You no, know, are rarely outside. And that definitely has an effect. We don't know exactly the role of vitamin D and sort of how much we need, but we know too little is bad and we think too much is bad also. And so again, so it's not just, so there's more reason for kids to get outside and run in the dirt. It's more than just exposure to allergens outdoors. It's also vitamin D really uh, comes from the sun mainly. So that's, that's something I never really thought about the multiple benefits. Absolutely. For being outside. I mean, of course we have to worry about sunscreen um, or we have to worry about skin cancer. So we have to, we have to wear sunscreen, but yes, I mean, kids and adults should get a little bit of, of sunlight basically every day, but at least weekly thinking about going outside, have your kids gone outside? If not, get them out there. You know, I think about how I used to like go in the backyard and make mud pies. And, Me too. You know, it, right. We all, it was, it was probably disgusting. Sticks, Sticks yeah, I'm sure and we mud. Some things that we shouldn't have, but you know, it's, it's for the better. Um, and so th- those are some of the ideas. Um, I think with food allergy, there's um, there's diet diversity, right? Okay. So eating a lot of different things early on. The studies are showing that that can be helpful in preventing food allergies. And then sticking also on food allergies, there's food allergy avoidance. That is a huge risk factor for food allergy. And that's why we think we're seeing one of the reasons we're seeing an increase in prevalence because we used to tell all our parents to avoid feeding allergens right. to our kids early on, right. right? So allergens like peanuts, eggs, milk, tree nuts, foods like that. We used to say, oh, don't introduce those until they're two or three. Right. But now we know because we've had landmark clinical trials in the last few years that tell us that getting those foods into baby early on can actually prevent food allergy. And I think this makes psychological sense because as a parent, if you hear that peanut allergies are on the rise. I think the natural instinct is to want to avoid peanuts altogether, uh, thinking that will prevent your child from getting allergies, but it's actually the opposite that's true, right? The more we're around peanuts, the more likely we are to, from an early age, the more likely we can help our child prevent these allergies. Absolutely. And I totally hear you. I think, unfortunately, food allergy has brought with it sort of a negative bias and and parents become very anxious when they think about introducing food allergens into baby's diet. And in fact, infancy is the safest time to be doing it. We have multiple studies showing us that if baby is going to have a reaction to a food early on, it's it's generally going to be mild. And that's the best time to sort of mold the immune system 
and have it be be um, go towards tolerance, like oral tolerance. But the gut has to see the food. So the baby has to be eating the food. If we're just around peanuts, you know, if they're just sort of in our environment, it it's could actually enough. be somewhat harmful if we have eczema. So eczema is the biggest risk factor for food allergy. And when I say eczema, I actually mean atopic dermatitis, which is when the skin becomes dry and red and itchy and bumpy, right? And so babies get it and all the little folds and they can get on their face. Right. You know, adults have atopic dermatitis as well. But when babies have it and they're exposed to foods in their environment, the foods can actually get in through their their skin because their skin cells are leaky, right? They're not tight. Um, And it can cause inflammation and can also sensitize them. And right. Explain what, explain what you mean by sensitize. Sure. Good question. So when the immune system, when the immune cells that let hang out in our skin, see these allergens, they talk to their friends and they say, Hey, I think we should make some allergy antibodies to these foods. And when I mean foods, I mean like proteins in foods. Okay. So that's what our immune system is responding to proteins and foods. So we'll just talk about peanut, for example. So the immune cells see peanut, they tell their friends to make allergy antibodies, and they go and do that. And then the next time that the baby is exposed, maybe they make more. And if the baby isn't eating the food at the same time, and all the immune cells in the gut, we have, you know, our immune cells are everywhere, and they also line our gut. And so if those immune cells aren't seeing those same proteins, in like large amounts, then the everything gets skewed towards allergy and all those allergy antibodies bind to cells. And then when the baby eats peanut later in life, they can have a reaction and those cells can release chemicals and cause a life-threatening reaction, which we can get into. But, you know, the whole idea is oral tolerance, letting the gut immune system see the food, even if you're getting, even if you're seeing it through the skin, if your gut seeing it, it can be actually helpful and preventative. So, so just to sum up what you're saying, let's say there's a baby that lives in the house where there's peanut butter in the environment. Um, it, that's not enough because if the peanut butter touches the skin, that may actually make the body um, uh, make a, an immune response that um, is not favorable to peanuts. But the way to make the body more tolerant or accepting or less likely to get allergies is to first expose the body through the gut by eating it. Is that right? Perfect. That was very okay. well said. Yes. Eat it, but you have to eat it early. You have to eat right? it early. You have to eat it before, early. Before this, before uh, the body gets a chance to uh, think of it as uh, an enemy or something it doesn't like by getting exposed through the skin. Exactly. Okay. Um, yes. And I, now I want to bring back something that you said uh, a little bit ago, because I think it's a really important point. And that is when babies are exposed to allergens early, you said their reaction's more likely to be mild, correct? Yes. Okay. I want to touch on this a little more because parents are so scared to give peanuts and other allergens early because they're afraid of a really strong reaction. So what, do you have any numbers or, or figures to explain how, you know, how likely a child is to have a mild reaction from a young age? Sure. So we have, well, we have some of the landmark trials that were done on early allergen introduction. So what does that mean? So back in 2015, the most famous 
clinical study called the LEAP trial, which you know about, right? It's the one that sort of made Bamba famous. It's Bamba. Let's they, tell, me, tell me what Bamba is. Bamba are those peanut puffs that, that now I think everybody has their own version of, like Trader Joe's has its own peanut puffs and you can find them everywhere. But Bamba is the OG. And um, it's these it's peanut puffs are actually made in Israel. And they were used in a study to show that feeding peanut early on in infancy, starting at four months of age, can prevent up to 80% of food allergies. And this was in high risk kiddos, like kids with eczema or and or egg allergy already. So we know that from that study, other studies have been done that also show similar results. And during these studies, they looked at the reactions, you know, so they told these parents, give your kids peanut puffs, you know, at four months of age and keep feeding them. Oh, that's another important point. You can't just give it once. You have to keep giving it right? You have to sustain exposure because giving it once is not enough. Not enough. The, the trial showed three times a week, correct? Was enough exactly. to sustain. Exactly. So, and, you know, we can get into whether, you know, how much you really need to do on a weekly basis because, you know, you have to have to be realistic. Um, right. But yeah, that's what that's what the LEAP study showed. And so um, what it also showed and what some of the other studies showed is that there were no severe reactions in any of the infants who were introduced to allergens early on. So and when you we, say severe, does that mean anaphylaxis, the fear complication? No exactly. anaphylaxis, interesting. Exactly. And no, no severe anaphylaxis. So anaphylaxis has, you know, the definition of anaphylaxis, which is um, when you're, you know, when you have sort of systemic symptoms, like you, you have symptoms in all different parts of your body and not just locally when you eat a food that you're allergic to. So um, by example, you, can you give an example of, of a mild reaction? Would that be like a sure. rash? Absolutely. Yes. A rash. So a mild reaction, oftentimes we'll see some hives, which are, they're kind of like red itchy bumps that sort of sometimes look like mosquito bites. Um, you can see hives, you can see swelling, like some people get like swelling of their lips or swelling of their eyes. That's called angioedema. And it's basically very similar to a hive. It's just like a deep version of a hive. So having, you know, some mild symptoms um, like that, you know, you would probably potentially take an antihistamine like Zyrtec or a children's Zyrtec. Um, or just watch the symptoms and see if they self-resolve. And then more moderate symptoms can include vomiting, abdominal pain, um, coughing. And then obviously when we get into more severe symptoms like trouble breathing, lightheadedness, multiple episodes of vomiting, um, you know, swelling in, in your mouth or your throat or things like that, then, um, you know, we're in severe anaphylaxis territory. And the only treatment for that is epinephrine or injectable EpiPen. Yes. Um, yes. So, I usually tell families anything that involves the airway or breathing is an emergency and should be, should be directed to the, to the emergency room if they don't have an EpiPen. Yeah, it's true. I think the other good thing to tell them is, especially in young children, um, it's, it's hard, as you know, to tell if they're having breathing difficulty. Right. And so with babies, for instance, so with infants, the most likely things you will see with a food allergic reaction are hives and or vomiting. 
Okay, so those are the most likely things. It's actually rare to see breathing difficulty in infants, and that's why we say infancy is the safest time, because generally it's a mild reaction. As they do get older, I tell parents to really pay attention to their mood if they become really inconsolable and they have hives all over their body, or if they become lethargic, right? And they have hives all over their body, or they have an episode of vomiting. These are also worrisome signs. And, you know, never be afraid to use Epi. That's like, I try to empower parents. Like I say, we can do everything that I teach them to try to prevent allergies, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't prevent them. And if I give a diagnosis of a food allergy or an allergy in general, I want to provide parents with tools and knowledge so that it's not anxiety provoking, right? So they can live somewhat more normal life and have a good quality of life and just have the knowledge and, and, you know, feel, feel safe. Right. It, so I think, I think it's a great point. I've, I've actually been with my sister who, who you mentioned earlier, um, their child or my nephew who has severe multiple food allergies. I've been with her before where her son started to wheeze and she's I felt nervous about his progress. He was exposed to a food he shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have been exposed to. And she felt empowered actually when she made the decision to give him epinephrine at home. She was nervous, but then when she gave it to him and saw that he, uh, his symptoms resolved, he was like himself acting better. I think it actually provided her, um, relief that she knew she could do it and did it when she needed to. So I agree with that point. We're all, I think a lot of parents are hesitant, but it's an important point to remember that it's there for you when you need it. Absolutely. And, you know, parents say, well, I've never had to use it. You know, when I see older kids that maybe have food allergies and I say, great, you're never supposed to to, like, that's great. Let's continue on and hope you never have to use it, but you always have to have it with you and you shouldn't be afraid to use it. It's, it's just epinephrine, which is adrenaline, right? For a lot of people don't know that they're really the same thing. And it's, it's really not harmful. So if, if I always tell my parents, if you don't know if you should use it and you're debating it, just use it. Right. They probably feel the needle. You know, it's, it's really not that scary. They're not going to have any major side effects. Maybe their, maybe their heart's going to race a little faster, you know, things like that. But it's, it's actually quite safe. And so there's never, you can't be like wronged for using it if you think you should use it. Just do it. Right. Okay, so this is all good news what you're saying. So what just to sum up, you're saying that when babies try uh, food allergens or, or foods that may potentially cause an allergy, most commonly it's going to be mild and they will not need any intervention. It will resolve on its own. But if they're that small percent of kids that have allergies that do have an overreaction, there's a treatment for it. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. And I have so many families that are so nervous about food allergies. They ask me if they can try new foods in my office, or I've actually had some families um, admit to me that they go to my parking lot in my office, which makes me a little nervous, but they're in the parking lot trying, um, you know, nuts for the first time. Do you think that people have to do this or can they just, is there a time they need to see a, a medical doctor for the first time that they're uh, trying a food? Like maybe there's food allergies in their family, or do you think it can be safely tried at home? Such good questions um, and very important. As we, we already mentioned, we know that, you know, food allergies and food allergens are very, um, are very scary to, to parents. And um, 
I have the same experience where a lot of people do want to introduce in my office or in my parking lot. I was in a mommy and me group when I had my son, my first child. And, you know, there was one day where one of the moms brought in a bag of Bamba because all the moms wanted to introduce while I was there. (laughs) And so I was like, well, okay, 10 babies are eating Bamba right now for the first time, Um, which was fine. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't nervous because infants are generally fine. Uh, but yes, it just goes to that idea that that it is anxiety provoking for parents. And so you asked if there's a time where families should seek out, you know, their phys- their pediatrician or, you know, ask their pediatrician to be referred to an allergist. And um, what I say to that is, you know, some babies that have severe eczema or severe atopic dermatitis should be, you know, Either they should have a discussion with the pediatrician about introducing allergens and if any screening is necessary, or be referred to, excuse me, be referred to an allergist to discuss that. Um, If food allergies run in the family, generally speaking, there's no need to see an allergist. There's no need to be screened. We don't screen anymore because we have so much data now telling us that we don't need to screen siblings. Um, You know, I mentioned that. Genetics plays a role in food allergy, but we know that if if a child has a sibling with a food allergy, their risk, that child's risk of then having a food allergy is only slightly higher than the general population. It's not as high as we used to think. And so um, it's actually do you know better. What, do you know what it is? Not to put you on the spot. About, thir- but- about 13%. Okay. So if and- there's 8% allergies, food allergies in the general population, if a sibling has an allergy, the risk goes up to 13%. Okay. Exactly. And so thinking about eczema, just to give you something to compare to, if a child has severe eczema, their risk is about 30% that they will develop a food allergy. So that's why eczema is so important. So if your child has, you know, your infant or your, you know, toddler has um, a rash, an itchy red rash, definitely talk to the pediatrician about it and, you know, see what you need to do. And the earlier, the better, Right. So for these kiddos, it's even more important that at four months of age, they really start introducing food allergens. Now, do you think the severe. So I know so many, you know, so many kids have eczema. I think the numbers I've read somewhere between 20, even 25 percent of kids have some uh, even mild eczema. So it's so prevalent. Um, You know, obviously, all those kids, uh, we don't want them seeing allergists or the pediatrician to uh, to safely be with us to introduce foods. So when you say severe eczema, um, is that just more widespread on the body? Can you paint a picture for families what that would look like? Good question. Yes. And and it is hard to to know, I think, as a parent, especially if you haven't had experience with it, to know what is mild, moderate, and severe. Right. So, um, so you're right. So the, the way I talk about it is if it is very diffuse or widespread on the body, right, multiple you know, areas, um, a lot of surface area of the body is covered. Um, or it doesn't always have to be all over the body. It could be just in certain areas, like, and then just be really, um, really hard to manage, right? It could be um, get infected easily. It could, you know, the baby could scratch it and it could bleed a lot. Right. Um, right. You know, the baby could have trouble sleeping at night because they scratch all during the night. Right. So, there, you know, it doesn't have to be all over your body. Um, but a little, you know, eczema, a little mild eczema 
you don't, you know, have to wait to introduce foods. You should actually not wait, right? Any eczema at all, don't wait. Get it, get it in early. I love hearing and, you make this point because it comes up yeah. so much. Um, so exactly. a little eczema, do not wait to introduce foods. Do not wait. Do it and, you know, just you can you can read about it, you know, hopefully you're learning here, whoever's listening, like we want like knowledge is power, right? So feel confident. If your baby has eczema, um, unless it's severe, like we talked about, start introducing foods really early on, starting at least at four months of age. And if you think it's severe or you're, you're not sure, then seek out your pediatrician. Um, and, you know, hopefully that can be done quickly so that you can, a decision can be made if they need to wait or not wait or get screened, like I mentioned, right. in the allergist. Now, now, but, one, now, one subtle question or one subtle point I'd like to make. I have some families where the child has eczema, they introduce uh, a milk, let's say, and they see the eczema get worse when they're having that milk product. Um, and the instinct is to change formulas. Do you think in that situation, you know, to a non-milk-based formula, do you think in that situation they should power through and continue to feed with that milk-based formula, even if it makes the rash slightly worse? Or do you, because th- I feel like a lot of people see a reaction, they want to pull away from it. But if continued exposure helps prevent the allergy, um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive. And this is something that I, that I spend a lot of my days talking about. Um, <laughs> Me too. We're- <laughs> I know, we're the same. We got that in common. <laughs> That's great. Um, so basically what I, what I say to parents is eczema is a skin disorder and it will flare sometimes without rhyme or reason. The number one cause of eczema um, to um, flare is actually rubbing or scratching, right? So once you scratch the, the, and rub- we call it the, We call it the itch that rashes. Exactly. Right. So it's a cycle. Once you itch, it rashes. Yes. Scratch cycle. Right. You keep yes. it, it itches. You scratch. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. Um, also rubbing. Right. So that's why it, it occurs in the folds. Like a lot of people don't realize that because that's where that's where the skin rubs together. Right. Yes. Yeah, so and for those of you listening, Katie is pointing to the uh, the inner uh, flexure area of her elbows which is a really common spot for eczema to present. Exactly. Yes. And under the chin, in the neck folds, right? All these, all these areas. Behind and the so knees. Yes, behind them. Exactly. So <laughs> these are, that's the number one reason for an eczema flare. Number two is actually weather changes, hot to dry or hot to cold, cold to hot, you know, dry to humid, et cetera. And then yes, irritants and allergens can cause eczema uh, to flare, but they're not the reason the baby has eczema. Eczema is a skin disorder, and then these things can make it worse or cause it to flare. But if it's a food that a parent is worried about, if they if the baby is, you know, switched to milk formula and their eczema gets worse, then I am not concerned that they are going to have anaphylaxis, right, or that severe systemic reaction because of a milk or from, you know, from milk. And systemic, I, you, you, sorry, just to define what systemic is. I know you said it earlier, but um, full body. Symptoms in, in other parts of their body, right? In different yeah. systems of their body, their GI system, right? Their gut, their, their lungs, right? Their respiratory system, their skin, their cutaneous system. So all of these we, we say, we call systems, but it's really just different parts of your body. And, um, 
eczema is not concerning to me that they're going to have a severe reaction when they eat the food. Now, is eczema annoying and, you know, uncomfortable? Absolutely. So the main thing to do is talk to your doctor about skin care maintenance and how to maintain eczema. Moisturize and use medicated creams if you need to and soak and seal with, you know, bathing every day. And there's, you know, there's so many different things that I go through to educate. I'm sure you do as well to teach parents how to keep eczema under control so that they can keep allergens in the diet. We don't, the number one thing is don't stop the allergens just because you see an eczema flare. If you, you know, if you need help, get some help, get some guidance, right? Have a plan, but don't stop because it's actually could be harmful, right? You could be sent again, if you're, the baby's just had it once or twice, and then you don't keep feeding it, Right. You could sensitize them, right? Right. You're, you're using, you're losing that chance to make them tolerant to the food where they're more increasing their chance to have worse allergies later on in life. Exactly. Right. Okay. So just, just to help, uh, for those that don't know, can you, can you say what the most common food allergies are? Sure. Absolutely. So in babies, it's actually milk is the most common. Eggs is second most common. Uh, peanuts. Are, is extremely common after that. So those are those are basically like the top three allergens in young children. Um, when we talk about food allergens in general, we talk about the top nine. We used to have the top eight, and then recently sesame was added to the list. And so these are the top nine food allergens or or um, uh, food allergy um, uh, groups that cause about ninety percent of food allergic reactions in people. And so it's uh, milk, egg, and peanut, as I mentioned, tree nuts, which- Can you, wanna... can you say what tree nuts are? Yeah, Everybody gets confused. Specifically, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that peanut is actually not a nut, it's a legume. It's in the same category as green peas and green beans and lentils, right? So those are legumes. And tree nuts are, um, uh, specific nuts like cashews and pistachio and walnut and pecan and, you know, Brazil nut, those are the tree nuts. And so they're, they're different than, you know, peanut is not in the same category. And so a lot of people sort of lump them together. Um, so tree nuts are very common. And then we have wheat, soy, fish, finned fish and shellfish and sesame. And these are the top nine, you know, most common food allergens. And um, in children, as I mentioned, milk and egg are the most common, but they're also the most likely to be outgrown. So probably about 80% of children with a milk allergy early on will outgrow it by their teen years. We used to okay. think, yeah, we used to think it happened earlier on, like more kids would outgrow earlier on, but we're seeing that it's actually happening later than we used to think. Now, and um, I've read too that that for kids that that continue to have milk in their diets, they actually outgrow milk allergies sooner. Did you agree with well, that? Depends what form. So, if if we're talking about um, baked milk or baked egg, then yes, we think that if a, a child who has a milk or egg allergy can tolerate a baked version, which means something that's um, you know in a flour matrix, right, like a muffin, 
baked in the oven at 350 or higher for about 30 minutes or more, if they can tolerate a food like that and they can keep it in their diet frequently, then that may help them outgrow that particular allergy faster. So the okay. allergy that's great like news. Yeah, absolutely. So that's hope definitely is not lost. Yeah. No, no, definitely not. Um, so it's really important. So, okay. So you said milk and egg, there's about an 80% chance children will outgrow them. Um, and specifically it's egg whites, right? Yes. Or is it egg- the, the allergens are in the egg white. Um, however, there are some allergens in yolk and you can be allergic to yolk as well. And it's actually very difficult to separate, you know, yolk white. So sure. I, I never encourage parents to feed yolk in, in that a, makes a sense. egg allergic uh, patient. Yeah. Probably cross-contamination. That makes sense. Exactly. Um, okay. Now what about nuts? Do you have any numbers in terms of can kids, how likely are they to outgrow nut allergies? Yeah, is so there anything I'm, parents can do for that? Yeah, it's less likely. Um, peanut and tree nuts is somewhere in the realm of about 15 to 25% of children outgrow. And um, generally speaking, if a child has a less severe reaction when they're first diagnosed, if their skin test or blood test numbers are smaller, um, then they're more likely to outgrow that. But, um, but generally, you know, looking at the numbers, most children, when they're diagnosed with those allergies, will go on, you know, into adulthood with the same allergies. The same is true for shellfish and fish. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wheat and soy are, are often outgrown. So if those are diagnosed early on, those are often outgrown as well. And I would put sesame in the, in the tree nut peanut category. Okay. So more, less likely to outgrow. I'm so excited because my nephew, as a side note, um, he can now tolerate a half a peanut. So we're all very excited. So happy. So he's doing oral immunotherapy, which is um, much more common now than it used to be. And it's where um, an allergist will provide standardized dosing or standardized amounts of a food that a child is allergic to and have them eat the food every day. And every so often, maybe every few weeks, they will increase the amount in the office. The patient will continue that food at home until they get to a point where they're sort of desensitized, meaning the immune system doesn't react the same way. We're sort of tricking it, right, into thinking maybe it's not so allergic anymore. And, um, you know, what this does is it gives parents confidence that if that child were to accidentally eat the food they're allergic to, that they would not have a severe reaction. No, it's amazing. I'm so glad there's more research being done on this because I think it gives, you know, it's so nice for parents to have hope that once their child is diagnosed with a severe allergy, that there, that there's a a path towards improvement. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's so nice to be able to give parents options and we do a lot of shared decision-making. Some parents don't, don't want to do that. I mean, it's a commitment, right? Right. Definitely. Allergy shots. It's the same same thing for environmental allergies, which you know we can talk about. But it's these things are commitments, and so and some people, for multiple reasons, can't do that, and and they need to um, be educated on avoidance and all the it might things. Might just be easier just to avoid altogether. Exactly for some families, right. yes. Yeah. Um, so can I now, now just to segue back from um, I know we've been talking about anaphylaxis and some and the big reactions. A lot of questions come up with mild allergy reactions. So I'm curious your take on this or how parents should approach this. There's a number of kids that get um, 
um, let's say like a, a tingly lips or, or a tingle when they have a nut, for example, um, or I'll have a lot of kids that have citrus or, or a food and they have uh, what we call a perioral rash or a rash around the mouth. Do you think with kids that have these more mild reactions, uh, are there any, is there any reason why those, why those children should not continue to eat those foods? No, I see. So I see, I do, I consult on a, on a lot of these patients and um, what we, so there's two, so there's two things. So there's perioral rashes or perioral hives. You can get, you know, those bumps, you can get redness. So, around the mouth. Around the mouth, exactly. I keep forgetting that we're also on the, on the radio and that people aren't seeing everything I'm doing. Um, yes, around the mouth. And um, so if I always tell parents, if a food causes a rash, wherever it touched, so even if it's like up on the cheek and the baby, you know, like is eating with their hands and they get the food around their mouth or on their cheek, if they have redness or hives, Wherever the food touched, but they ate the food and ingested it and did not have a rash anywhere else on their body, then continue eating the food that is just the perioral rash that we're talking about. It is not harmful. It is not concerning that we're going to have a more severe reaction if we keep eating the food. Um, some parents get nervous when they see it, which is understandable. I mean, I have two kids anytime we see a rash or something, you know, we get a little, we get concerned. And so sometimes I'll say, you know what, just put Vaseline or Aquaphor on their face before you feed them. And they won't get irritated. You know, their skin won't get as irritated. It won't be as, you know, scary for you to see. Um, so that's a little tip. But um, that's a great tip. No. So in other words, they can keep feeding that. Let's say strawberries cause the perioral or around the ra around the mouth rash. Um, it, it, a lot of parents are instinct is to not want to feed that food. But you're saying uh, maybe prep the mouth, put some Vaseline around the mouth and then continue to give the food. Exactly. And that's OK. Yes. And strawberries are one of the most common tomatoes and citrus. Now, when I counsel families, Listen, if they want to remove strawberries and tomato, it's not the end of the world. It will be it would be unlikely that baby would then develop a food allergy. Is it possible? Sure. You know, there's 160 foods that have been reported to cause food allergy and probably even more. So any food can cause a food allergy. But I worry most about those top nine that we talked about. Right. So right. egg, milk, right? So if any of those are causing that rash, keep going. Don't stop. You know, use the, the likelihood it won't develop. Exactly. And if you're concerned, talk to the doctor, but, you know, at least have some of this knowledge, you know, in your tool belt that you can use when you have these reactions so that hopefully it isn't as scary and, you know, you can have a plan of what to do and, and you know, how to feed baby. Now, Katie, um, do you know, when we, when we were speaking about the oral immunotherapy to help parents, um, um, Per, uh, less in their children's food allergy. Do you know where, like, are there any centers that you recommend any places that you would recommend a parent if they're listening and they have this in their family, where can they, where can they go? Oh, sure. Well, there's, there's multiple options. I think, you know, you definitely want to speak to your allergist in your area because there are some private allergists. There are actually quite a few all over the U S and there's a website that you can go to, to find an allergist near you who does oral immunotherapy. Um, you know, we are, we have a center here, um, 
that's close by that is, you know, well known for doing oral immunotherapy, but there's academic centers that we have, you know, there are two, two of our um, top children's hospitals here in Los Angeles also do oral immunotherapy. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's so great because um, when I, I feel like there's been a lot more opportunity for this since, you know, in the last decade or so, where it was really hard to find a place where a child could could uh, get immunotherapy. And I feel like it's a burgeoning field, which it is really great. Is. Yeah, it really is. We're learning a lot more about food allergy. It's, it's you know, um, I think it's a, it's an exciting field to be in. Not that food allergy is exciting to diagnose. It's not. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to diagnose uh, as an allergist on a daily basis. But I get, um, I feel fulfilled because I can, I can really educate families. And there's um, options now. Exactly. Exactly. There's hope. There's options, which I think is what every parent wants. Yes, we can try to prevent. And if we can't, then we then we have then we have things we can do to manage. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Any anything else before I segue into environmental allergies? Anything else to add? Goodness, I don't think so. We covered a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully it was helpful to everyone. I think I, I think it, I, I I think as you said, all education is is good and important, and, and you never know what family is listening that this is helping. So I'm sure it's helping. Good. 